0: Welcome to Question Period, I'm Evan Sullivan. On our program today, vaccine fog.
1: The quantities that we expect to receive uh, remain to be confirmed by uh, the manufacturer. So at this time, I, I can't really tell you what the quantity will be.
0: More vaccine shortages spur more vaccine questions. Why doesn't Canada know how many vaccines will be delivered this month? Can the government's ambitious targets still be trusted? We get answers from the Procurement Minister, Anita Anand, and the New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs joins us to talk about the impact all this has on the provinces. And then, supply backlash?
2: When wealthier countries invest in COVAX, half of that funding is for doses at home, and the other half is to buy doses for low- and middle-income countries. In other words, our contribution was always intended to access vaccine doses for Canadians. The very fact that Canada is the only G7 country asking the COVAX consortium for vaccines is, is demonstration that we have no plan. Why is Canada the only G7
0: country to dip into the vaccine supply that's primarily meant for developing countries? Stephen Lewis, the former UN Special Envoy on HIV-AIDS, weighs in on that. Plus, election promises.
1: Consecutive governments, conservative cuts brought in by Harper, continued by Justin Trudeau, have starved our long-term care system of the funding it needs. And corporate greed has been put ahead of the care of our seniors. It is outrageous and it must end.
0: The NDP rules out its first election promise, an end to for-profit long-term care. Is a spring election actually on the way? The NDP leader Jagmeet Singh joins us on that, and so does CTV pollster Nick Nanos. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers.
2: Of course, the minister uh, approached all of those vaccine manufacturers about manufacturing in Canada, all of them. Uh, examined the possibilities that that could occur in Canada so what Canada did is uh, choose the second best option which is to buy from those pharmaceutical companies from sub- the, the manufacturing locations that could supply us the quickest
0: second best well that's how the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Procurement described Canada's vaccine plan to meet late last week now that was a startling admission And it came just after the government finally revealed that months ago, every vaccine maker they asked refused to set up a domestic production facility here in Canada to help secure a supply. So Canada apparently chose the, quote, second best option and ordered the vaccines from overseas. How's that going? Worse than expected, according to the Prime Minister, Moderna reduced its delivery of vaccines to Canada and has not given any assurance about the February 22nd delivery date, except to say it will be lower than the target. Why? Well, even the government doesn't know. And combine this with the dramatic reduction of the Pfizer supply, why is the Prime Minister so sure that the target of 6 million doses by the end of March will still arrive? Are new vaccine approvals going to speed up that process? To talk about all this and more, I'm joined now by the Minister of Procurement, Anita Anand. Always a pleasure to have you on the program, Minister. And and you know the shortages have been the the big political concern. They've been worse than your government expected. The vaccine uh, makers, Pfizer and Moderna, missed their January targets, their February targets. How is your government so sure that they will hit their March targets?
3: Well, let me start off by saying, Evan, that the reduction that we saw with Pfizer was indeed temporary, that we have seen uh, Pfizer shipments come in this week, Moderna shipments come in this week in the amount of, in aggregate, 260,000 vaccines. And indeed, another Pfizer shipment is on the way. So the reduction that we were discussing in the last time I appeared has been indeed temporary. And we are going to see a steady ramp up of deliveries from Pfizer and Moderna over the next weeks and months so that we remain on track to reach our Q1 targets of 4 million doses of Pfizer and 2 million doses but, of Moderna.
0: But Major General Fulton was very specific. He said uh, Moderna will not hit it. it will be a lower amount than he'd expected. He said he doesn't know why. He said he doesn't even have any indication what will be delivered on February twenty-second. Look, none of these makers have not hit their delivery date targets. I know they're ramping up, but they're still missing their targets. So, what's the explanation for that? And if they miss March, if they miss Jan and Feb, why should we be confident they'll hit March?
3: Well, Evan, I did speak with Moderna a number of times over the past week, as you can imagine, and I stressed the point of the urgency of these deliveries. But in addition, what they said to me was indeed, they were ahead in December. They were ahead in January and February is going to see a little bit of catching up because of the production retooling that is occurring at their plant in Europe and that we will be seeing increased amounts over the course of February and March to hit those targets.
0: One of the reasons we're reliant on ordering f- overseas is we don't have domestic supply uh, and you, your parliamentary secretary told me explicitly last week that Canada's plan, and I'm using his word, is second best. This is clearly not the gold standard that you talked about. He said that we failed to secure the, quote, best option. That was domestic supply. So... Is it fair to say that the plan that we're making now is the second best plan? As he said, this was second best.
3: I want to be clear that we have a two-track approach. The first track, of course, is what is the most expeditious way to get vaccines into this country. And that is via the bilateral agreements. And that is what we understood to be the case, given what these vaccine manufacturing companies were saying about the scarcity of resources and the inability to build up Canadian facilities. The second track is the domestic production. And as early as March 23rd, we moved to build up domestic capacity with investments in the National Research Council, with investments in Vito Intervac in Alberta, with investments into Medicago $173 million, Providence $5 million, Precision Nanosystems $25 million. I appreciate so that. indeed, it's a two track approach.
0: I appreciate that. But again, on this program last week, Sir John Bell, the man who developed and oversaw the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, who happens to be Canadian, by the way, told us explicitly that the UK had zero capacity 10 months ago to produce the vaccine. They ramped it up. He said it was a strategic mistake that Canada didn't do it. How could they go from zero and we couldn't?
3: Well, with respect to uh, John Bell, I will say that I was at the negotiating table with AstraZeneca, and I heard directly from them and other suppliers that the capacity that existed in Canada at the time was not sufficient to lead to a short-term uh, result of production of vaccines.
0: Right. And you can see why Canadians are a little frustrated. When 11 million people in the UK have been vaccinated, 37 million people in the U.S., and, and less than one million people here, and, and I think those are those are questions about whether uh, you know we, our supply lines uh, are crushed. Is that explain why Canada is the only G7 country to take vaccine supply from Covax, the international hub meant to provide vaccines to low and middle income countries? Uh, I know we're allowed to do it. I appreciate that but is that shortage that we're experiencing uh, mean that we are early to dip into that supply?
3: Well, I dispute the phraseology that you're using, Evan. I would say that COVAX has been established to be uh, an approach, a multilateral alliance with two tracks, one for the developed countries to purchase vaccines from this pooled procurement mechanism and to to ensure that these developed countries are donating doses to the developing countries and so we provided 220 million dollars to the procurement mechanism for purchasing vaccines for Canada and 220 million dollars for developing countries to have vaccines themselves.
0: Just quickly on, on vaccine nationalism and the Biden administration, they are practicing vaccine nationalism. They're not letting any other country use the, get vaccines from the United States from their factories, for example, the Pfizer factory in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Have you and the Prime Minister approached the Biden administration to change that America First policy on vaccines hard? and say, switch it, let Canada use those factories to order. How hard have you gone after the Biden administration?
3: really appreciate the question Evan of course the prime minister has been in touch with the Biden administration indeed President Biden himself on this issue I have also been in touch with uh, Jeffrey Zients of the U.S. administration and I am pressing them as you can well imagine uh, we are leaving no stone unturned and making sure that we can have access as a country to doses from various locations the big thing in You were on this program a little while ago saying if we get AstraZeneca
0: and Johnson & Johnson approved, we could accelerate the vaccination timelines, which, by the way, would be great. They have not yet been approved. We hear their approval is imminent. How soon after their approval will those drugs be delivered here? I remember Moderna and Pfizer said days after they're delivered, they're approved, those uh, doses
3: will come to Canada. What about for AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson. Just like with Pfizer and Moderna prior to the holidays where I was on the phone every day with them to assure um, Canadians and to ensure that we could have those vaccine candidates in Canada as soon as possible after regulatory approval I am also on the phone with AstraZeneca and J&J to ensure coterminous or near coterminous delivery of those vaccines as soon as we have regulatory approval.
0: Right, so Okay coterminous I'm just trans Translating that for folks. So that's very soon after approval. We hope to get those in Canada. Uh, Minister, i got to leave it there. I always appreciate your time. Thanks,
3: Minister Anand. Thank you so much, Evan. Take care.
0: Coming up, Canada's controversial vaccine supply. Should Canada really be taking new doses of vaccines from the supply primarily meant for low- and middle-income countries? Joining us next, Stephen Lewis, the former U.N. Special Envoy on HIV AIDS. He gives his view on that. Stay right here with Question Period.
3: It's about ensuring we have access to doses for Canadians. We know that there, you know, could be hiccups in manufacturing and, you know, at different points in the supply chain. And so it's about ensuring that. But we're also doing our part to support the developing world
0: alone among the G7, and maybe not in the best way you might think. In a desperate race to get vaccines to Canadians, the government has trumpeted the fact that Canada will be the first G7 country to get 1.9 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine when it's approved from something called COVAX. What is COVAX, you ask? Well, that's the global vaccine-sharing initiative that Canada joined, and the primary goal is to get vaccines to low- and middle-income countries. Canada gave $440 million to that and is actually entitled to use half of that money to get vaccines for domestic use. Meanwhile, Canada is supporting 90, is not supporting 99 other low- and middle-income countries who have asked the World Trade Organization to temporarily waive patents on vaccines so those countries can use generic companies to get vaccines. Now... That's what happened during the AIDS crisis with AIDS medications. Is it ethical for a wealthy G7 country like Canada to draw on the COVAX resource when it has secured so many private contracts? Or is Canada within its rights to do that? They paid for it, after all. And should patents be made public to allow developing countries to make generic versions? Let's find out. Joining me now to get his view on this is Stephen Lewis. He's the former UN Special Envoy for HIV-AIDS in Africa and the current co-director of the organization AIDS-Free World. Mr. Lewis, always good to have you on. Let, Let me start with COVAX. Your reaction to the government's actually a robust defense. They're proud of the fact that they're getting close to 2 million doses from COVAX. They say, hey, that was part of the plan all along. Your thoughts?
4: When COVAX was created, it was designed to provide vaccines for the low- and middle-income countries. And it was always understood from the outset that this was not a source of vaccines for the rich and wealthy countries of the world. This was a desperate effort to find enough by way of millions of doses to give some semblance of support to very, very poor countries. And for Canada to be proud of what it's doing, I think is a profound mistake. Now, I realize, uh, Evan, that I'm probably in the minority here because Canadians will be relieved to get vaccines from any source, but this is a profound mistake on Canada's part.
0: The government keeps arguing, and I've sp- spoken to the International Development Minister, Karina Gould, about it. I've spoken to the Procurement Minister. They say this is how the system works. This is why we signed up. The W Uh, HO understood this, we paid for these, why shouldn't we do it, even though, by the way, again, no other G7 country's done it. What do you say to them? If you were talking to Karina Gould, the international development minister, about it, what would you tell her?
4: I, I would tell her that it's wrong, that it isn't up to us to raid COVAX. Yes, she's right in principle. When we announced the the contribution Canada was making to COVAX back on, on September 27th of last year, we said we're giving them $440 million, but $220 million will be used by us for vaccines for Canada. And that should never have been accepted, and it should never have been done. And frankly, Evan, I don't think the international community believed for a moment that Canada would exercise that right because it's such a violation of the needs of the developing world. Look, just look at it now. We've, we've managed to provide roughly a million inoculations in Canada. That is more than the entire continent of Africa put together with two point, with 1.4 billion people. It's just wrong morally and practically.
0: By the way, all of Africa has done less than 250,000 for all of those people. Now, there's another element of this. In the meantime, and this is flying under the radar a bit, that... Uh, The patents that the big pharmaceutical companies like AstraZeneca and Pfizer and Moderna, um, there's a call for those uh, patents to be made temporarily suspended. Uh, South Africa at the WTO, the World Trade Organization, asked 98 other countries who supported them, saying, let's temporarily suspend the patents for the vaccinations. Canada did not support that. What do you make of that? Why is this so important?
4: Well, Canada seems determined to undermine its reputation with the low and middle income countries of the world because. This alliance of wealthy countries, along with Bill Gates, to frustrate the wishes of South Africa, India, and the other 90-odd countries that joined, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, We're in a situation where the suspension of patents is terribly important to provide the right for lower prices and easier availability around the world. Evan, may I say something which has really perplexed me? I, I just don't get it. We've got the worst public health crisis in a hundred years or more. And the response is being run not by governments, not by the United Nations, not by national institutes of health, but by drug companies drug companies are deciding who lives and who dies, who they will sell the drugs or the vaccines to, and, and, and that's just preposterous. Why should the future of humankind be placed in the hands of the pharmaceutical industry when most of the money that's been paid to discover the vaccines came from governments and the public sector? I cannot understand that.
0: I, I want our viewers to appreciate that, that to develop these vaccines... These big drug companies, now some of them have said they're only going to sell the drugs at cost, like AstraZeneca, but billions of dollars of public money from European countries, uh, the uh, taxpayers across the world, have gone into that, and yet now there's a fight to buy them. This is why the case to temporarily suspend patents has become so urgent. Why do you think Canada is not, and I've asked the government, they say we're not opposed to it we just want to study it more, that's why we didn't support the South African motion to temporarily waive the patents. (laughs)
4: <laughs> well, that's just, uh, I don't want to seem a, a, a sort of c- cynical geriatric, but the fact of the matter is that that's just nonsense, and they know it's nonsense With when they disgorge it. They're simply joining other wealthy nations who are concerned about alienating the drug companies. We have to understand the drug companies are the most powerful lobby in the world. They keep on telling us, well, if you take away the patents, even for a brief period of time, then we'll. Use lose the incentive to innovate and to distribute. My God, Pfizer has already announced that it, it expects to sell fifteen billion dollars worth of vaccines next year. In fact, it will be higher than that. The same for the other pharmaceutical companies, but they're determined to make the profits regardless of the costs in human terms.
0: Uh, one thing Canadians listening to you might uh, might have a question about, and I want to ask you. Would, for example, suspending patents so more drugs could go to uh, low- and middle-income countries, uh, would that in any way impede the supply of vaccines for Canadians? Not in the
4: slightest not in the slightest. The Canadian government has so much power compared to other low-income and middle-income countries of the world. So we would continue to purchase on a legitimate basis the vaccines as they come available. After all, Johnson & Johnson has now gone to the United States asking for emergency approval. Novavax is in sight. We already have three major pharmaceutical companies. Canada has the resources to be able to get the vaccine. So there would be no diminution of Canada's capacity. But I point out that that at its best, COVAX will provide perhaps 20% of the needs of the low-income and middle-income countries of the world by the end of this year the economist intelligence unit which does such careful examination of these issues says that many of the developing countries will not get the vaccines until 2023 even 2024 and we're forgetting evan that if we don't deal with the developing countries, it come back to haunt us because the virus will spread yet again. So it's got to be a global public health initiative, not just the Wealthy Nations initiative.
0: Stephen Lewis, uh, always good to have you on the program. Some urgent questions, uh, health questions and ethical questions facing all of us. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, Evan. Bye-bye. Coming up, are provinces getting enough information about the vaccine rollout? Are they even ready for a deluge of vaccines if it comes at the end of March, as promised? The Scrum is next, and our special guest will be the Premier of New Brunswick, Blaine Higgs. Stay right here with Question Period.
2: Budgets don't balance themselves, vaccines won't deliver themselves, and our economy will not rebuild itself. The time to secure our future is now. So last Thursday, the premiers were on the phone with the prime minister. They had
0: one main concern, vaccine shortages, especially of Moderna and Pfizer. Look, supplies have slowed down the provincial rollouts. What are the provinces now going to do? How has this affected their plans? And can anyone trust that the vaccine targets will still be met with a huge deluge of vaccines next month? Will that overwhelm the provinces if they actually come? Let's bring in the Scrum to talk about that more. Joyce Napier, CTV News Ottawa Bureau Chief, joins us. Stephanie Levitz, reporter with the Canadian Press in Ottawa, is here. And our special guest is the New Brunswick Premier, Blaine Higgs. Great to have everybody here on a uh, Sunday morning. Premier Higgs uh you were on that call with the prime minister what was the key concern the premier's raised regarding vaccines
5: well it's it's reliability of supply and 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 having a schedule that we could all uh, work with so we we certainly the pm was clear that um you know six million doses of vaccine moderna and, and pfizer were were guaranteed for the, by the end of march and and that was contractual and, and that was a, a commitment but what's not understood is the timing of the delivery. Uh, we did get some clarity what it might look like in February, um, which made up, I think, about a million doses. So there's five million there that potentially could um, could come in, in March. So, you know, that poses uh, distribution problems. It proposes, uh, you know, scheduling problems. And we like to line up because we're, we're vaccinating on a priority basis. So the, that is a concern. Um, and and that, that's what we're trying to get a handle on.
0: Okay, and I want to return to that, Steph, because one of the key issues is not just the transparency and when the doses are going to come or, or what the deluge that may be backloaded into March, but... Um, politically this week, one of the big issues from the opposition for the Prime Minister was why didn't you develop a domestic supply line? The Minister of Procurement, who was on the show, said, yeah, the pharmaceutical companies refused to come here uh, earlier in the year, but how does Mexico and Argentina and other countries get licenses to vaccines like AstraZeneca? Was it a strategic error of, of the federal government not to lock in that domestic supply earlier, Steph?
6: Yes. I mean, I mean, it's like full stop, right? And even if you know even if they had tried their hardest off the top and there was some talk early on about you know partnering with a chinese firm and developing stuff up here in canada but Really, one wonders, you know, at the else of the pandemic, everyone's been willing to give the government a bit of a pass, and Canadians themselves, personally, right, a bit of a pass. March was just like, whoa, what just happened to us? But then after that, at some point, you think they would have tasked their people with, like, three strategies, right? The today, the next week, and three months from now. And they talk a lot about making sure, you know, they saw vaccines coming. They knew the wild, wild west of PPE procurement. But off the top wasn't also one question, why can't we make this at home? And as they were asking Canadian companies left, right, and center to pivot, to make PPE, to make hand sanitizer, to make gowns, to make surgical masks, to do all of that stuff. There are companies in Canada, I have heard from them, who said, hey, man, we could have had a shot at doing this, but nobody wanted to talk to us. And I think, you know, if we talk about where the next line of political inquiry is going to go on this and where some of the damage could be done to the Liberals, it is on this question.
0: Well, it's interesting, Joyce, because Steve McKinnon, the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Procurement, uh, admitted uh, on Power Play this week that once they struck out on domestic supply, they went, and his word this is now the second best option going to buy it overseas and now we're basically you know it's like we ordered the whole menu on uber eats but we're waiting for delivery and delivery
7: is key obviously evan and we're finding this out and you know to what steph was saying we learned the lesson from ppes right way at the beginning of this pandemic when we realized we're not making them and we don't got any so we've got to import them and then we started making them it seems that that lesson wasn't absorbed, uh, it was learnt, but not absorbed. So when the, when the Prime Minister talks about noise, which he said on Friday, don't listen to the noise out there, I really do think the noise is created by the lack of clarity um, and by their deafening silences on certain questions, and one of them being, why don't the pharmaceuticals want to know anything about Canada? Why can't we build them here? Why can't we produce them here? And that
0: Novavax facility uh, will probably now, they say, get on board next year or so, missing the key vaccination process. Premier Higgs, let me get back to you. You said something I think that we gotta pay attention to if we, we're always talking about looking ahead to the next hurdle in the road. If the prime minister's right, and they're gonna get six million doses by March, like look at the date today, it's gonna be heavily backloaded. And if AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson come on board soon, the provinces are gonna be flooded with a huge amount of vaccines. Are are provinces ready to roll those out as quickly as possible to meet those targets, or are there real challenges this backloading will pose to the provinces?
5: Well, I think we got the message pretty clear from all of my colleagues and and, and certainly New Brunswick included. We're ready, we're we're up to speed to go. We can vaccinate a minimum of 45,000 We we think we can actually go as high as ninety thousand. And um and, and every, every province is ready and waiting. It is, it is a shortage of supply right now that we're looking for. So I guess if I had to say we'd like to be in a position where we had more vaccines than we have capability, but that we don't see that coming anytime soon. But we will deal with it, and if we have a flood of vaccines, that's great. I'd like to say, you know, when I think about the, the looking at Canadian suppliers, we saw people ramp up big time over over this last uh, 10 months. We make all kinds of things in terms of protective equipment. We can do that same thing, and I, I for can't believe that we can't find... A license agreement with a vaccine provider and then let our companies do their best efforts to to make it happen.
0: Yeah, in the meantime, Steph, there's, you know, we're talking a lot about the federal government, but there's a lot of politics right now as we wait for these vaccines, lockdowns, uh, opening schools, the lack of use of of PPE. uh, Those are all going to, um, go on sorry rapid tests those are all going to go on the provincial shoulders is there going to be heavy pressure on people like premier higgs to get those aspects of the pandemic right
6: i mean of course there is the the question is you know where people's heads are at and what matters to them at the end of the day and you know the prime minister on friday referenced an anecdote from a friend of his whose parents were in long-term care and i guess the parents had just now become fully vaccinated right and so when that vaccine is missing um, and people are in lockdown to protect their loved ones. Are they focused on the lockdown or are they focused on the vaccine? But I think also if we, you know, when the prime minister also talks about noise, one of the things he is, I think, subtly also saying is that by the time these vaccines are all deployed, and we're talking maybe three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 million months from now, nobody knows. But the point is that we're probably not going to the polls in the next six to eight weeks. And by the time we do go to the polls at the federal level, at the provincial level, how far back are people's memories going to go? Are we going to sweep this all under the rug as a really dark time in Canadian history and we'll focus more on the happy things about the way community came together? Or are we going to give it to the politicians who refused to tell us the truth, right. who refuse to be honest about what was going on, and hold them accountable for the decisions they were making?
0: Yeah, and that's going to be a good question, Joyce, uh, whether when the vaccines finally arrive there'll be some bump uh, for the federal government, but there's economic damages as well. But does all the stress fall on the shoulders of the federal government? Or frankly, do the, do the provinces have to bear a lot of the responsibility too?
7: Absolutely. I mean, the provinces will be responsible for the rollout and let's see how that goes if they get a big dump. But also the provinces have gotten billions of dollars, uh, from the federal government. A lot of them is still sitting in their coffers. Did they have something better to do with the money than take care of people during a pandemic? And, and also all those rapid tests that are sitting in warehouses across the provinces. Now, maybe not in every province, but we know that some provinces are not distributing them. They have millions of them. When you could give them to teachers, you're forcing teachers back to work without any protection because they're not getting vaccinated. So give them at least these rapid tests, Uh, warehouses, meat packing companies. I mean, we could think about dozens of places that could use these rapid tests. Why are the provinces sitting on them? What are they waiting for to give them to, uh, to reopen parts of the economy? We know that that would help. They're not doing it. All right,
0: Uh, i got to leave it there. Uh, Joyce, uh, Steph, I know you're going to stick around for a minute. Uh, Blaine Higgs, uh, Premier of New Brunswick, great to have you on the program. Thanks for jumping on. When we come back, is there going to be a spring election? The NDP have released their first platform they want to end, for-profit long-term care, but it is provincial jurisdiction. How can they do it? NDP leader Jagmeet Singh joins us next. Stay right here with Question Period. So as the second wave of COVID swamps the country, new variants making things even more dangerous. Once again, the focus has landed on long-term care homes where most of the deaths in Canada have occurred. They are among the first places to get vaccinated, but with shortages, that's deeply slowed down the rollout. So it's no surprise that the NDP has now rolled out its first campaign promise for a potential election to put $5 billion into long-term care and to try to stop the for-profit model in long-term care by 2030. But remember, this is actually provincial jurisdiction. So how would it work? And is it a sign that all the parties are prepping for a possible spring election around the budget? Let's find out. Joining me now is the leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh. Mr. Singh, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Uh, Look, you and I have talked a lot about this long-term care issue before. This is squarely a provincial jurisdiction, so what exactly do you think the federal government can do to really take the for-profit model out of long-term care?
1: Well, a couple of things. First off, we have to acknowledge that I've spoken to many, many families that have shared their heartbreaking stories about long-term care. This is one of those things where people are saying, we don't want to hear excuses, we want to hear solutions. So what we're saying is we're not in any way disrespecting jurisdiction. We're saying that should not be a barrier to showing some leadership and working with provinces to get some things done. When it comes to profit, first of all, we have to be clear, for-profit homes are overwhelmingly worse, more infections, more uh, deaths than anywhere else. And so what we're calling for is a couple of really concrete things. First off... Rivera is wholly owned by a federal agency. Make that public. The federal government can do that. Secondly, bring in long-term care and home care under the same principles that provinces already agree upon, the Canada Health Act. Increase funding in line with those principles, which would immediately increase the quality of care. And then for a long-term goal, so that this never happens again, we need to make sure we're working with provinces, providing the funding to get rid of profit in long-term care. It can be done. There's various steps we can take.
0: Justin Trudeau's asked about that. He said, look, again, he always says the same thing. He said, look, even for Rivera, which he says, long-term care homes, that is clearly provincial jurisdiction. If they want to do it, we'll work with them. But they can't do that unilaterally. Do you buy that?
1: No, I think that what the prime minister should be saying is, we are going to buy it out and make it national. We are going to make it public right away. We're going to provide funds so that provinces that are already faced with massive shortages when it comes to long-term care beds, what province would say no to new beds and new funding to care for their seniors? I don't understand how any province could say no to that, and I certainly don't see how the public would allow any premier to say no to new publicly funded beds for seniors to be cared for with dignity.
0: If this increased funding uh, for long-term care and other things you've asked for are not in the spring budget, and here you are rolling out a campaign promise, Are you prepared to vote against the spring budget and trigger an election this spring?
1: I've been very clear on this point. We are not looking to trigger an election. And Justin Trudeau's sole focus in this pandemic, in this moment right now, should be on getting vaccines for Canadians. That should be the only thing he's working on. He should not be planning an election. He should not be spending time or resources doing anything other than getting vaccines to Canadians delays in vaccines mean more people get sick and more people die. So that should be his sole focus and but, we're gonna to continue to hold okay, him to account on that. But
0: you're, but I, I'm just trying to figure this out. You say he should not be preparing for an election and you're literally on this program rolling out an election promise. So like, what is it?
1: Well, this is something that's in an urgent crisis. Like long-term care, I've met with so many families that are saying, well, why is this happening? If we knew these problems happened in the first wave, there is no excuse for them to continue in the second wave we're seeing our loved ones die the pandemic has disproportionately been borne out on the lives of seniors that has to end so this is something that we're committing to do but we want to see the government do it right now
0: let me just dig deeper into vaccine rollout it is the key issue the prime minister has repeatedly said despite the shortages now the march target of six million doses of Moderna and Pfizer will be met he's talked to the EU about it he's talked to the CEOs of those companies Um, and he guarantees that will happen. Do you trust that? Should we be, uh, be calmed about all that?
1: It's hard to trust it given this context. When we first heard about vaccines, Canadians were excited. This was that glimmer of hope in a really difficult time. And this was that moment where people thought, you know what, maybe we're gonna get past this. The vaccine's gonna mean that we're gonna be able to see our loved ones again, and we're going to be uh, no longer worried about getting sick and our loved ones dying. But then the delays were announced, then the misinformation or the lack of clarity. The prime minister saying one thing, a minister coming out with another when it comes to local production. All of these delays and lack of clarity and frankly, lack of transparency are eroding public trust. And we want the public to trust us. We want the public to trust that the vaccine is going to be there and they can take it and they should take it. But when the prime minister is failing to provide a clear plan, is being so untransparent and not providing clarity it actually erodes that public right. trust but, but and this what, is a problem people are saying, what's the
0: clarity you, like i'm just trying to figure out what's the clarity you're looking for he's told the provinces as soon as we know shortages we tell the provinces as soon as we get the numbers from the vaccine makers we deliver them to the provinces you're going to get six million by the end of march you're going to get 20 then you're going to get 20 million and then you're going to get every canadian who wants it by september that's the plan what's the tra- what transparency are you looking for
1: a number of things. First off, we talked about local production. We are not ever going to have the, the confidence to know that we're going to receive the doses that we need unless we know that we're able to produce them in Canada. He comes out with an announcement saying we'll have the capacity by September. His own minister says, no, no, it's going to be end of the year. Then the NRC says it's going to be in 2022. That's something that hurts public trust. We don't know how many Moderna doses we're going to receive next week or the week after. That erodes trust. He says on one day that we're going to receive a certain amount, then days later says, okay, there's been a delay. We're not going to receive it. The premiers themselves are asking for well, what are we okay. in the contracts. Why don't we know what, the, what are in the contracts? Other countries have done that. All of this lack of clarity coupled with the final pieces, you can't just set a deadline without telling us how you're going to achieve it.
0: All right, i got to leave it there. Uh, Mr. Singh, great to have you on the program. appreciate it very much, sir.
1: Always a pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right, coming up on the program, the politics of the pandemic. With so few Canadians getting vaccinated against COVID-19, support for the Liberals is starting to plunge. Can the government regain confidence? What are the political costs of rollout delays or supply delays? The Scrum is next, and our special guest is CTV pollster Nick Nanos. Stay right here with Question Period.
2: So far, only 124,000 Canadians have been completely vaccinated. Where is the Prime Minister's plan to vaccinate 2. Million, 2.1 million Canadians per day? We have had a strong plan on uh, uh, procuring vaccines since last spring. We signed more deals with more potential vaccine manufacturers for more doses per capita than any other country. Maybe that needs an update.
0: It's the vaccine, stupid. With vaccine shortages dominating the headlines and Canada falling to about 33rd in the world in terms of people vaccinated, are vaccines becoming the potential ballot box question as we move towards a confidence vote on the spring budget? Vaccines are, by the way, also intimately tied to the economy. Canada lost 213,000 jobs in January, according to Stats Canada, and unemployment rose Almost a full point to 9.4%. How is all this impacting the polls and what could it mean for a possible election in a minority government? Let's bring in the scrum to discuss all that. Joyce Napier is the Ottawa Bureau Chief for CTV News. Stephanie Levitz is a reporter for the Canadian Press in Ottawa, and our special guest for this round is CTV News pollster and president and CEO of Nanos Research, Nick Nanos. Good morning, everyone. Nick, I'll start with you. Um, is the controversy around vaccine shortages, even with continued promises from the Prime Minister that the targets will be met. Is all this impacting the view on the government and on Justin Trudeau?
2: Absolutely. It's been a political body slam against the Liberal government, the vaccine anxiety. What we've seen in the nanos tracking is the Liberals initially having about a 10 point advantage over the Conservatives. With the vaccine anxiety, now it's only five percentage points. They're out of majority territory, and it's becoming very close between the Liberals and the Conservatives.
0: Oh, interesting vaccine uh, anxiety, Steph. The Prime Minister on Friday dismissed the vaccine as this is all noise. What are the real questions and challenges that he's got to talk about in the midst of this, you know, all the questions around the vaccine here in February?
6: The challenge he's facing right now is the question of transparency because it's becoming harder and harder to believe him when he sticks to these deadlines that he's made by which he says all Canadians who want one will receive a vaccine. We can accept that some of this is out of his hands, it belongs to the manufacturers, it belongs to Big Pharma, but there are the question of these contracts, Evan. There are countries around the world who have managed to find a way to be at least a little bit more transparent with their contracts sorry with these vaccine companies. The Liberal government is refusing to do so. Trudeau's been pressed on it ad nauseum at this point. And you know, he talks a lot about keeping Canadians safe, but one wonders, is he keeping us safe from some truth that he doesn't want us to know about how well this vaccine rollout is gonna go over the next few months?
0: Yeah, and Joyce, he keeps insisting, we're gonna hit the targets. I've talked to the CEOs, I've talked to the EU. There's questions about the EU using export uh, controls on that. There's questions about supply that they can't seem to answer. Um, What does he have to do now to kind of show shore up confidence.
7: And also there there are questions about Mr. Biden now the new president of the United States saying, you know, America first. So we're going to keep our vaccines. We're going to vaccinate our people first and then we will give our vaccines to other countries. So there you go. Canada squeezed out again. First from the EU, then from the Americans. You know, the noise comes from the fact that the prime minister and his ministers give murky answers and not clear answers even if the truth hurts maybe it is best to just tell it now because this is serious people are getting irritated and look nanos's poll just shows how irritated canadians are getting
0: Uh, nick look the prime minister of the government and i had anita nand on the program earlier she said look we're still going to hit the targets They're going to be backloaded. We're going to be awash with vaccines. Eventually, they say, you know, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson will come online. Rollout becomes a provincial issue. Lockdowns, provincial issue. Rapid testing, provincial issue. Are premiers also feeling voters' blame, or is this all coalescing on the
2: federal government? Well, right now, it's all coalescing around the federal government. But you know what, Evan, what we're seeing is a communications failure. Communications 101, under-promise and over-deliver. What the prime minister has to do is to kind of be forthright with Canadians and to say this is going to roll out between this time and that time and the government will do its best to get vaccinations as quickly as possible into the arms of Canadians. So they need to manage expectations much better than they have in order for Canadians to have confidence in them.
0: Uh, Staff, w- one way they're getting supplies is 1.9 million doses from something called COVAX, which we've spoken about, the international hub. Primarily its purpose is to help low and middle income countries get the vaccine. Canada is certainly allowed to take half of its share. We're the only G7 country to do so. Is it defensible politically?
6: It's one of these issues, Evan, where the Prime Minister is literally going to face and has faced opposition to this decision or challenges on this decision from both sides. If you're on the left, more progressive side of the spectrum, you're looking at this and saying, how dare you take vaccines from poorer countries? If you're on the right side of this political spectrum, you're looking at this decision and saying, how dare you allow people who aren't Canadians to get vaccines before Canadians? And so the Prime Minister has to make a call. He needs vaccines in Canadians' arms. He needs it politically, but more importantly, every day someone is not getting vaccinated, that's a risk that someone's going to die so the question has to become you put it through a political lens and you say we need these vaccines we need them now but let's also remember it's not like these vaccines are coming now because none of these vaccines are coming right now evan and and that's the thing at the end of the day and they might hit the targets a few months hence and maybe this political noise will all blow over but right now it's a matter of life and death for thousands of canadians
0: yeah and their job losses joyce and then there's that the Covax situation which poses an, an ethical issue um, is that a defensible position when they say look there's a shortage people are watching the UK and the United States race ahead uh, is it is it a Hail Mary pass to get Covax, or is it just prudent that's that was part of the plan all along
7: well listen that's what Canadians expect uh, from their Prime Minister so whether it's from Kovacs or other sources um, I don't know how much opposition within the Canadian public you would get About this, the Prime Minister deciding to go get those vaccines for those countries, mainly because it is also made for that. Canada can, you know, go in there and get the million vaccines that they're getting now, especially in a week where we find out that these pharmaceutical companies, none of them accepted to have their vaccines produced in Canada. So we now have to rely on vaccines made abroad until we can eventually, you know, sort of snail pace towards making our own so you know the 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 prime minister didn't have a heck of a lot of choice so in in a in a world where there's very little choice that was a good one
0: nick who's been if 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 you say the pools are falling uh for justin trudeau and the liberals and i know there could be a, a spring election although jagmeet singh says he doesn't want one i know everyone has to say that
2: who's benefiting here well, what we're seeing the main beneficiary right now is Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives because their numbers have been up in the last couple of weeks. It's going to be interesting to see whether this anxiety turns into anger because if there is, there will be a, a political firestorm that will take place over the next couple of weeks because Canadians are upset at what they're hearing from the federal government. And you know what? Those provinces, there could be a political pile on the federal government if this continues.
0: All right, guys, i got to leave it there. It's going to be fascinating. Minority government, you always got to worry about a potential election and certainly with a budget coming this spring. Steph Levitz, Joyce Napier, Nick Danis, great to have all of you on the program. That does it for Question Period this week. Of course, we're all watching to see if any new vaccines are approved next week or the week after, but I will see you tomorrow night on CTV's Power Play on CTV News Channel, and we will be back here in seven short days. Thanks for watching.